everybody, and welcome to another episode of Wings for Breakfast, our twice-weekly Red Wings podcast here on The Athletic. I'm Max Boltman, with me as always is Prashant Ayer, and it turns out the scientists knew what they were talking about. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I was gone for a week from the, the podcast, and I come back and you have canceled sports, Max, so I'm not really sure how I feel about that. Well, it wasn't just me canceling sports, it was everybody. Every major league has been canceled, except for, I believe, in Russia, there's still some hockey being played right now. Uh, the NBA, obviously, I think it was the night that we recorded the last episode, so after we recorded, uh, before we published, the NBA canceled, and then the next day, obviously, the NHL followed, so I'm sure it was very weird for some people listening to our most recent episode as Chris and I uh, talked on with the blissful ignorance of two people still thinking they had stuff to write about uh, for the foreseeable future, whereas now uh, it is going to be very interesting times. Obviously, we'll still keep you guys covered with plenty of content, plenty of coverage here on The Athletic. I think there's still a ton to talk about with the Red Wings, with every other sport. This is going to be a global situation, um, and we will get to some of that today, but I do think considering uh, we should probably start off with, with quite a bit of kind of coronavirus, COVID-19 talk about the impacts that we are seeing uh, around the, the human world, around the sports world and everything, and there is not a better person I can think of to lead us into that than you, Prashant. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's kind of mind blowing for a lot of people to, to see how quickly this has escalated. I mean, just a, a handful of days ago, we're talking about the first cases out in Seattle. You're talking about people who are, you know, going, huh, what is this? You're seeing maybe some more reports coming out of China and you fast forward seven, ten days and now you're talking about there's more than 3,200 cases in the United States. You're having a lot of, uh, you know, states of emergencies being declared by uh, individual states. You're having Hospitals are already starting to get towards their, their capacity. And obviously the big news for, from our standpoint is all of the major sports leagues have been canceled save. I think UFC is still, uh, doing their fights without, uh, fans in the stadium. But besides that, um, basically everybody has, has put everything on hold at this point. And, and really we have no specific timeline as to when the NHL is supposed to be back. I think, uh, the end of the season is was tentatively set for April 4th with playoffs supposed to begin April 8th. So I think there's going to be more information to come in this next week here in terms of if and when this season is going to be able to pick back up. Yeah, and, you know, the the timeline of, of what a resumed season would look like is something that I don't think anybody has a handle on right now. I mean, I think... With the way things are developing, I'd be surprised if we even know what's going to happen by that April 4, April 8 week, right, when 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 the regular season was supposed to be ending. I don't even know that we'll have a, a firm idea in place of where this is headed by then. Yeah, I mean, with the way things are changing almost on an hourly basis, it's, it's really hard to project this season coming back, even if at all. I think most recently what I've seen is now there's a lot of discussion between the United States and Canada as to whether or not the border is going to get closed. And, and obviously if the border is closed at that point, you can't play professional hockey. Uh, you can't play NHL hockey. And that's going to affect a lot of players who, um, you know, maybe Canadian nationality, maybe based in the United, in the U.S. city or vice versa. And, and, and so I, I do think that's going to create a lot of issues. And, and, you know, like you said, Max, it's really hard to, even say what we're going to know and when we're going to know it because almost hour by hour something is changing something new is coming and that's what happens when you have a you know a pandemic like this that is based in exponential growth where basically every couple of days you were seeing a dramatic increase um on the on in the number of total cases prior yeah 
Very, very scary stuff. Very strange, kind of un- uncharted territories. I think for me personally, I've never really lived through something like this. And obviously, some kind of close to home ties in in Detroit, where you know the Utah Jazz played. So obviously, Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell uh, were two of the earliest diagnosed, two of the earliest diagnosed, like high profile people diagnosed with it. Now Christian Wood, the Pistons forward, diagnosed with it. They obviously play at the Red Wings Arena. Um, I'm curious to see. You know what the what the next ripples are in all the sports of 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 how many athletes have it, how many team personnel have it. Uh, were they able to close things quick enough uh, and suspend play before this was able to get too far within the the the, uh, the leagues themselves? Obviously, we're seeing pretty fast spread through the communities, um, but you know the the NHL at least has been kind of told to self quarantine and re- remain in their home cities. Yeah, I mean it's you know it's it's amazing how quickly this has really traveled and moved on. As you mentioned, the three players already in the NBA. You've got one in the XFL and the Seattle Dragons, who's um, big diagnosed, and, and to date, no, nobody in the NHL has really been uh, diagnosed with this just yet. But I th- I think the the fascinating thing is, you know, a lot of people have actually lived through a recent epidemic, um, and, and this was 2009, the H1N1. Uh, the swine flu when that came through and, and that was a big, big, uh, you know, situation for a lot of people. It affected a lot of Americans. You had a lot of lives lost, but what really separates, you know, this from H1N1 and, and by this I'm referring to the, the COVID-19 outbreak here and what's really separating it from that, which was just 11 years ago, is how quickly this is transmitting from person to person. The number of people that are getting infected from a single person, on average, it's about two to three people are getting infected from an infected person. And that infectious rate right now, the worldwide doubling rate of this is six days. And so if you're not able to really do anything to, to limit that doubling time or to, to lessen, um, you know, the impact on those, uh, on those different people and, and, basically do what's called flattening the curve, uh, you're going to end up overwhelming a lot of the healthcare system, particularly in the United States. So before we get too much further, I think one of the main things certainly I have kind of struggled with, and I'm sure a lot of other people probably may be in the same boat, of what can practically be done on a person-to-person level. I have no healthcare expertise. I have no uh, no real knowledge of what I can do other than what I've been seeing from just about every possible source, which is stay inside your house to every degree possible and just limit uh, to the fullest extent you can the number of interactions you're having with other people. Yeah, I mean, that's by far the most important thing that everyone can do, and, and it's been affectionately termed as social distancing. But the bottom line is you want to do everything possible to uh, isolate yourself from potential transmission to other people or potentially, you know, becoming infected by another person in these larger public settings. And and the reason for that is a lot of people are going, well, I feel totally fine. You know, I'm going to go out. I'm going to live my life. I'm going to do what I can. The, the tricky part is what they've been able to detect is that people can actually transmit this. You know, they can be infected, have the coronavirus, transmit this without actually demonstrating symptoms yeah. to a certain extent. And a lot of people can say, I feel, you know, relatively fine. I mean, if you remember back to Rudy Gobert, he's, you know, he said on the day he was actually diagnosed that I feel relatively fine and I'm pretty sure I could have played. And, and so that's the thing is Gobert, 
the day he was announced that he was diagnosed, it's clear that he was probably able to infect Christian Wood prior to that. And Gobert actually played that game. And so that kind of gives you some, you know, insight in that people who are in this age bracket of maybe 20 to, to 35, these are the people that aren't really getting hit from a really symptomatic standpoint, but they're just as likely to be able to transmit this when they're not feeling well. And so it's vitally important for everyone, the people who are immunosuppressed, who don't really have the immune system to fight this off, the people that are elderly, even the best estimates that we've seen for people over the age of 80, the mortality is still 8 to 9% for those patients that get infected. And so it is extremely important to just do what you can to isolate yourself you know, from other people, from being a vector or potentially, again, uh, becoming infected yourself and having to deal with the complications. And again, it's it's not an ideal situation. You're going to tell yourself that you're feeling fine and, and, it's, and it doesn't really make a difference, but it does. This is the number one most important thing that everybody can do right now. Yep, absolutely. And it seems like even if even if for no other motivation, many of which would be obviously more important, including your own health, the health of those around you, if for no other reason... Do this because it will help you get sports back, right? That's exactly right. If you want this to to die out and to start quieting down and allow people to really get back to the resumption of their lives, then the best way to do that uh, is to enact this maximum social distancing uh, policy to get the – what you're effectively trying to do is get the transmission rate down such that – each infected person is infecting less than one person. And once you get to that level, that's how these pandemics end. And so right now, that that infectious number that it's called r not in the clinical community, it's still sitting between two and three. And so you've got to be able to pull this down to less than one. And the best way to do that is just by not interacting with other people unless absolutely necessary. All right. All right, so with that said then, um, we can get back a little bit into the hockey side of things, and obviously one of my big questions is going to be what a, what a resumed season would even look like. I think, you know, James Myrtle had a, had a good story on our website the other day, getting into some ideas. To me, I have a hard time though thinking that like, you know, one of the ideas floated was maybe some play-in games to handle the problems posed by, um, potentially ending a regular season early. To me, if if this if the league is already going to be strapped for time, it does seem hard to believe. That, you know, based on a conversation, you know, I was having a conversation with a buddy today, and he made this point: like, it, if you're strapped for time, how are you going to add more playoff, more to the playoff hunt? Like, is, isn't it? Doesn't it seem like if if anything, uh, the playoffs are going to kind of just have to start? Yeah, I mean, this is going to be really interesting. I know to a certain extent, I think I've seen a couple of that. At least the league was asking teams and inquiring about building availability through the end of July. Um, so if, if that's the case, you might be able to get a little bit of, of extra time if you're going to push things out maybe six weeks later than you typically would. Um, that being said, yeah, I, I don't know how you have time for playing games, how you have time to try and because uh, all of that would be in an effort to quote unquote make things fair, but I, I just don't know that uh, there's really any way to do it given this level of parity that's been introduced in the NHL where you still have maybe six or seven teams all vying for the last few spots. Uh, I don't know that there's a fair way to do it. And 
one team you leave out may not, you know, may have a legitimate beef with that. Uh, they could have run their last eight or nine games and been able to sneak into a playoff spot. So I, I just don't see there being an equitable way to do that playing system. So I think what's most likely to happen is you just settle on points percentage. If that is the case, then uh, I think we'd be looking at a couple of at least very interesting early series, including a Philly-Pittsburgh-Pennsylvania series. Uh, I don't think we're in line to get the Battle of Alberta, though, in the first round. Yeah, unfortunately not. But another couple of delicious ones for me, at least, are Tampa and Toronto being a first-round matchup and then mm-hmm. uh, getting a rematch of Washington versus Carolina, which was a brutal, brutal series last year. And the Canes took that in seven, and the regular season this year has only been a lot more, uh, a lot more of the same. So I know those three, really the entire Eastern side would be outstanding. And then, you know, for a lot of the Red Wings fans who grew up in the nineties, a, a fun series out West would be Colorado versus Dallas. Cause, uh, you know, in the late nineties, that was a huge, huge rivalry in addition to Detroit having a, a rivalry with each of those teams. And so getting to see those two teams go back, uh, at it in the playoffs. So it kind of brings me back to Gary Thorne and Bill Clement calling games on ESPN. So, I would definitely be in, uh, very happy to see those. My question for you are, and I did a story on this Saturday for, for The Athletic, for those who want to check it out. What kind of questions do you have about the Red Wings in the wake of this that are li- likely to not get answered if they don't resume play? Were there any kind of storylines that you were hoping to see resolved that now we kind of won't get a definitive answer to? Yeah, I mean, the biggest one that I was trying to see in terms of how things would resolve for the Red Wings is how would this Bertuzzi, Larkin, Mantle line finish out? Yeah. And because and, they were really starting to click over the last couple of games, I, and that's going to have substantial impacts on contracts for Tyler Bertuzzi, contracts for for Anthony Mantha. I think both of those guys having an outstanding finish to the the season could have certainly influenced um, the future contract. In Mantha's case, more than more than Bertuzzi's, given that Bertuzzi's been consistently good all year. Mantha obviously missing a lot of games uh, due to injury this year, but a strong finish from them could have had a substantial impact on their contracts. And then the second thing that I think I was really looking for was, um, you know, how would Sam Gagne mesh over the last, uh, you know, 10 games? And would he again be a guy that would be interested in coming back as a veteran potential second or third line center for the Red Wings next season as they kind of ease the transition into the Joe Valeno and Michael Rasmussen piece. And I think the last thing, obviously, is it's answered for us, but Moritz Sider will not play a game for the Red Wings this year. Um, and, And that's a shame, unfortunately. Yeah, those are all kind of things on on my radar as well. I think especially with, with the RFA implications for a guy like Mantha and a guy like Bertuzzi who both have high-profile contracts coming up, um, that's a big one. I think, you know, even a subtler one is going to be, and this maybe not necessarily in Detroit, just the impact this is going to have on the draft. And, you know, I'm sure the Red Wings have a pretty good idea by now what their list is going to look like, but there was, you know, a major U18 World Tournament that's not going to happen now. Um, you know, most of the leagues were nearing at least their playoffs, if not outright the end, uh, for, for teams who, who weren't so good. Uh, but, you know, you're going to lose some some league games prospect scouting-wise. We don't know what's going to happen with the Combine. It's kind of hard to see a world where the Combine gets at least exists in its current form, though, right? Like, those are all kind of... Uh, big losses for for preparing for a draft yeah i mean the combine oftentimes you'll have the one-on-one interviews with 
uh, players and and teams may not have that ability to do that. And and that's going to be a a huge shame because last year, I think, you know, a lot of information really came out about Eiserman's interview with a lot of different players. Um, and then particularly, you know, how much he enjoyed interviewing more at Sider uh, at the time. And that may have ultimately sealed the deal on the wings taking Sider there. And so, you know, right or wrong, whether or not one of those events should have that much influence is a different story. That being said, this is all still pieces of information that teams have relied on for years to construct their draft list. And a lot of that is getting chopped away, really going to put a test on some of these teams to see how good their drafting ability is. Yeah, it'll be interesting. And I'm curious if it, you know, we've talked in the past about how international tournaments can tend to almost take on sometimes too much sway in decision making. I'm curious what the effect of not even having this international tournament will have on things. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is you may almost save some teams from themselves. You may save the team from jumping on a guy who maybe comes through and has a solid U18 tournament and buys himself an extra 15 spots in the draft. Um, you know, I think that's a, that's always a big concern for me with teams when they put a little too much weight uh, onto those international tournaments. And so not having it at all may actually save some teams from themselves and, and force them to rely a little bit more on the, the results from the junior leagues. I'm sure it can go both ways, though, because you think about a guy like Sider, who, yes, he had the big international tournament around Christmas that he was in. But if you take away, you know, his play at, at the Men's World Championships and through the German League playoffs, I really do wonder if he even ends up as the Red Wings pick at six last year. Is there a player similar to that? I mean, maybe it doesn't affect the Red Wings because it seems like they're going to be picking so high uh, this year that it you know may not matter for that kind of player. But is there a player who maybe would have been at the back of the first round or, or, or in the middle of the first round who now slides back as a result of not having that, that showcase opportunity? Yeah, I mean, certainly I think that's the case. And then, you know, we've talked about this at length with a lot of Sweden's uh, players this year. There's obviously yep. a couple of guys that have been highlighted in, in Alexander Holtz and Lucas Raymond, but there's a lot of other talented players uh, over in Sweden right now who may not get that same exposure and, and the ability to demonstrate that. One guy who I think is uniquely impacted from this is actually Yaroslav Askarov. Um, you know, just thinking about Askarov in particular, to, to get a team to bite on a goalie, I almost feel like they would want to see him in North America, see him play in person, get him a better sense of his game, his style, his technique, all of those pieces to be confident enough to take him high in the first round because again a lot of people over the course of the year had him somewhere in the top five to top ten and and he's a guy that I'm just kind of sitting and going I could see him slide if just simply because teams are a little wary of goalies and they're getting one less opportunity to see him play yeah yep well very interesting uncharted territory I'm very curious to see how all this plays out you know I, I think it's interesting too that Chris Draper has this situation in his first year uh, as director of amateur scouting uh, pretty much thrown into the fire here. Yeah, welcome to the big leagues, Chris. Here's your first year. You're going to have to deal with it where you get uh, 20% less information than everybody before you. <laughs> but at least, you know, presumably they're dealing with similar levels of information uh, to everyone else around. Like, oh, There shouldn't be too many teams who are dealing with dramatically more or less information. Um, I, I do think, isn't Chris Draper's son in this draft class, Keenan? It looks like, uh, I think he's next year. Okay. I think he's next season. Just taking a quick peek through elite prospects here. I think they'll list him as 2021 eligible. 
All right. Uh, so that said, what do we think? Which which prospects do we think are most impacted by this? Uh, I mean, I'm sure Cider, as a candidate who could have gone up to Detroit, obviously a big one. I wonder, are there guys who you would have been particularly interested to see in their maybe junior league playoffs or their men's league playoffs or if, or I mean, not men's league, senior league in in in, in Europe? Um, are there guys over in? Uh, colleges that you would have been particularly interested to see potentially at an NCAA tournament. Anybody who you think this affects uh, disproportionately? Yeah, I think the one guy that jumps to mind for me for the Red Wings is Keith Petrozelli. I think you and I have yeah. talked about him. So he's a big goaltender, having an outstanding year in the NCAA this year. He's a guy who I could have seen had Grand Rapids made the playoffs and maybe Petrozelli uh, signs his uh, ELC or entry-level contract with the Wings. He may have been able to jump up to Grand Rapids given their goaltending struggles, given Philip Larson's struggles, and actually been able to play a couple of games up there. So I think he's a guy who maybe loses that opportunity uh, to jump up early. Um, so he's uh, he's one guy that I've kind of pinned as uh, maybe uniquely affected by this. And, and whether or not he actually um, you know stays the whole year in Grand Rapids next year will be a different story. I think you still need to figure out what he's going to do with this contract situation and what the Wings are going to do with Philip Larson and his development, given that he's gone up and down to the ECHL and then back up to the AHL. So I think he's one guy that, uh, you know, I think definitely was affected by this. For me, it's Albert Johansson in, in the SHL. He's a guy who obviously was a second-round pick by the Red Wings last year. He has really heated up lately. He's got five points in his last four games, which still only gives him 13 on the season. But especially when you consider uh, how much of his production has come recently, that seems to kind of suggest hitting a stride. Farstad is a second-place team in the SHL. They, they could have been in for quite a playoff run, potentially. That's a guy who I would have really liked to follow down the stretch here. Yeah, I mean, he's a guy that, uh, again, when the Wings took him, kind of on the smaller side from a defenseman standpoint, but real good of a skater. And, and he's, I think he's had a relatively successful year this year. And again, like you mentioned, heating up. Um, he's a guy that you're trying to say, okay, as he's heating up, if he has a really strong playoffs, like, do I consider bringing him over next year? Do I let him stay? Uh, what's my decision? And again, you lose some data points here when you're coming to evaluate a guy like him and you ultimately may end up erring on the side of leaving him in Sweden a little bit longer as opposed to bringing him over simply because you didn't get to see as much as you wanted to. Just want to take a quick break real quick to talk about the Black Tux. The Black Tux believes every groom deserves a better experience when it comes to finding formal wear, a suit or tuxedo for their big day. Did you know the Black Tux was actually started by two guys who had one of the worst tuxedo fittings you could imagine? Turns out they aren't alone in this frustration. Just listen to these one-star reviews from competitor tux shops that shall not be named. Go elsewhere. This place is pretty terrible, unless dressing like your grandpa for Halloween. We felt weird buying a suit from somebody so unhappy. We were afraid his bad vibes might follow us to our wedding day, so we left. What I love about the Black Tux is they have an easy online ordering process that brings your suit or tuxedo straight to you. Just pick a style at theblacktux.com and request a free home try-on so you can feel the fit and quality before you commit. And if online isn't your style, the Black Tux has showrooms all over the country where you can find your fit and plan your look. From there, they'll ship your order two weeks before your wedding so you can check it one last time. Talk about commitment. Whether you're buying your outfit or looking to rent, you won't find a formal wear experience or designs like the ones you'll find at the Black Tux. If you want your wedding to be remembered for the right reasons... Order your suit or tuxedo at theblacktux.com and enjoy 10% off with code WINGS. That's theblacktux.com, code WINGS, for 10% off your purchase. The Black Tux, formal wear for the moment. All right, should we get to the questions? Yeah, let's do it. 
Okay. James Edwards asks, uh, if you had to be quarantined with one player, past or present, who would it be and why? Oh, man. I think it's got to be one of the guys who was always pulling pranks in the Red Wings locker rooms back in, like, the 90s and, and early 2000s. And I, th- I think it would be Thomas Holmstrom because he was such a funny guy. Whenever they would go behind the scenes with the cameras and and kind of look at some of the different pranks that were happening in there with him and Draper and, and McCarty and Malty and all those guys, he just seems like he'd be a blast to, to hang around. Plus, the dude is built like a tank, so like if I do have to run through any walls or, or kind of you know go back to the grocery store and knock somebody over, I think he's the guy that I'd want to have with me. Would you want to be pranked constantly for like a two to three to four? No, no, no. no. Like, month, I would have quarantine. a great time doing it back and forth with him. Like if he got me and I got him back, that would, you got to pass the time. Like there's only so much you can do inside your house. That's true. Before you've just got to resort to like crazy shenanigans. I don't know who this is necessarily, but like, give me the guy who can cook the best. That's my answer. That's fair enough. I don't know that I've ever seen any of the behind the scenes stuff talking about cooking with, with any of the rings, but I guess I would probably have to say Nick Lindstrom is perfect at everything, so he's probably the guy that I'd say fits your mold. That's a good one. Are there any like, what's like a, hmm. There's not really been any like great like Italian Red Wings or anything, has there? Because then they, they could cook. Obviously, the pasta meals are going to be very popular in a quarantine situation. Um, yeah, you can make it all from scratch. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I, to That's, me, I yeah. don't know. All right, all right. Well, that's something to to, to think on a little bit. Um, Eamon, Eamon O'Flynn asks, "What contracts should Iserman target this off season? And what should he ask for in order to take?" Them? This is a topic we've obviously gotten at uh, a number of times. But uh, any any new names? Any names that you want to re up? Anything like that? No, I mean, I think we've talked about a handful of them. The big one that I had been throwing around was David Backus, but obviously he was uh, moved at the trade deadline, so that's a little bit tougher to now execute given the price that he's already moved for once. I think a team that I would really be looking at, um, you know, poaching players from or poaching contracts from is St. Louis because, again, St. Louis is going to be strapped to the cap, and, again, if the season does end up canceled, you can expect those cap projections for next year to be significantly downgraded and so they're a team that may hurt substantially uh, from that and with that being said if you look at their roster um, you know they're going to have Alex Petrangelo up at the end of the season he's unlikely to be back simply because they're not going to be able to re-sign him they're going to have to sign Sammy Blaze who's again going to be a good uh, restricted free agent he'll get a little bit of a pay increase um you know, you're talking about how you're going to replace some of your defense with Bo Meester probably not uh, being able to return. Uh, you're going to have to pay Vince Dunn as a restricted free agent. So if I'm looking at St. Louis, there's a handful of guys that, you know, you want to think about uh, taking off of their hands if they're willing to move them. David Perron is a guy who, again, it would be a, it'd be a huge ask on, of Perron from the blue standpoint to say, do you want to move? Because um, he's got four million for the next two years, and he's obviously been a huge piece of St. Louis for a long time. Tyler Bozak is under contract next season at five million. He's a guy. Jaden Schwartz at five point three five million, and then even Alex Steen at a uh, five point seven five million. Although again, Steen's another guy who's been a part of the Blues for such a long period of time. I have a hard time seeing him move. But those are the guys you want to be asking St. Louis about, particularly if they're trying to stay in their cup window and keep their captain, Alex Petrangelo. 
Obviously, I've talked a number of times about Kyle Turris. I'd also say Louis Erickson seems like a guy who makes some sense. Uh, I don't, you know, Vancouver obviously does not exactly have the pick assets that I think you'd probably want a team that you were trading with to have. Um, but he's got a couple more years at six million. He's not going to bring much to your lineup. Is the downside. Whereas I think a guy like Turris actually brings something to your lineup for the next couple of years. Obviously, that's a longer contract. Uh, Erickson, I don't think he's going to really move the needle forward much for you but maybe that affects how how good of an asset you can get back with with that kind of contract yeah i think that's completely fair and, and to go back to st louis they're also a team that doesn't really have the, the picks you would want yeah. and so again you would you'd hope that you can either get one of the few remaining picks they have if they're completely willing to part with stuff or or you're hoping you can get a solid prospect or uh quality player from them yeah, if you're going to the Blues, you're probably saying, you know, hey, we'll, we'll take a contract, but, you know, I, I want, uh, you know, take a name, Jordan Cairo, Clint yeah. Austin, something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure. All right, uh, that actually brings us into sort of another one, which is from Ryan, who says, with the cap rising, who will the Red Wings target in free agency? But we're going to pump the brakes on that because the cap may not be rising here. Like, especially if, if, the, re- if the revenues are impacted, that number is calculated – uh, based on hockey-related revenue, the players are supposed to get half, uh, and then that that's kind of how you end up with the salary cap number. If if you're talking about losing uh, months of, of, well, I guess it's weeks of the season here, uh, that's going to be a problem, especially when you get into the playoffs, then you do get into months. Right, weeks and, and playoff revenue. I think all of that, yep. uh, losing all of that gate revenue is going to be huge for the NHL. And it's, again, a huge part of the reason why they were reluctant to, to really do things until mandated. And and uh, I think because of that, it's very feasible to see that the salary cap really doesn't rise. Um, again, I think a lot of people were optimistic and excited when they saw the initial projections of, of 84 to $88 million for your cap, and you're at 81.5 this year. That would have been a substantial uptick. But all that being said, I, I also don't think this was the season to spend, even if that cap was $88 million. That's where, again, you want to use that money to, to take those bad contracts to see if People will give you assets. Yeah, I would agree. And I, if the cap does end up staying, let's say that the cap doesn't rise at all or something like that as a result of this, then if you're Steve Eisenman, you're on the phone with Julian Brisebois and you're saying like, hey, I'm happy to do you a favor. I'm happy to take, you know, they don't have many bad contracts in Tampa Bay, but maybe you can say I'm happy to take one of the higher contracts off if you'll give me a little bit of a discount or something like that. Yeah, that's exactly it because if, if the cap doesn't, go up, you're going to find a lot of teams that are going to be really, really hurting, um, you know, for for money. And you're going to find teams that are just not going to have the space to really do anything. And and I think it's going to be absolutely vital to contact your your Julian Breezeball, your, you know, Doug Armstrongs and say, hey, guys, uh, you guys got to spend some money. But here, let me help you and I'll take this and you give me a couple extra things here. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Um, all right, next one's from Andre, who says, if the season is outright canceled, could you see a scenario where draft picks are awarded by current standings? Seems like a fair way to do it, considering a full season wasn't played, so it compromises the entire system of how picks are awarded. No, uh, though it is wishful thinking from Red Wings fans to think that could be on the table. I do not think you are going to see a world in which the Red Wings come out of all of this and uh, just happen to get a, a fortuitous rule change that gives them the number one pick. But... 
This is a good jumping off point to talk about something that uh, I texted you about a couple days ago, which is how the lottery could be affected by any changes to a potential playoff format, whether that's expanding or shrinking a playoff format. Uh, Would that be an impetus to change the weighting of the odds in either direction? You know, this is a really interesting question because I think it all, I think it's going to be dictated by how the playoffs are determined. Um, I think if you go to a system where it's just based on points percentages, then I can see the lottery happening exactly as is with points percentages being the positioning. But if you go to play in games, do you then take the losers of those play in games and assign them? set spots based on the order they lost, which is how the NHL playoffs works, uh, or do you assign them or basically allow them to then fall back in the lottery, which seems like a very unfair opportunity for a team that basically any any team that's de- deemed to be a bubble team effectively has the opportunity to play for the playoffs knowing they can then which fall into... Which is a playoff. Right, and then, and then know they can fall into the lottery. Uh, if it doesn't work that way, which is kind of a little counter counterintuitive, and I think you would have the other lottery teams that are not getting that opportunity would certainly have a beef if one of those teams then was able to turn that into the first overall pick. So, uh, I, I, my personal opinion is everything's going to happen on points percentages here, and you're still going to have the lottery as is, and it's just going to be reverse points percentages. That would be the path of least resistance for sure. I will say, if you are someone, and I might fall into this camp, who thinks that if they if the playoffs are expanded to include play-in games, then lottery you know odds should be adjusted accordingly. You also probably logically have to be of the mind that if the playoffs are shrunk, and let's say they only were to take like six teams from each conference, which I don't know why they would do that, but let's just say then the odds should the odds should be minimized at the top a little bit to account for more teams. So that is problematic in its own way. I don't think that is going to happen, to be 100% clear. I'm just saying, if you're going to jump on one bandwagon, you probably have to be on board both. Is that fair to say? I think so. So I'm going to give you a fun hypothetical situation here, right? So let's say the NHL decides okay. to go to a play-in game, uh, or yep. play-in games. And let's say they take uh, 7, 8, 9, and 10 and they in each conference, and they want to make those yep. games play-in games. You are the New York Rangers, who are 10th in the East. If you had the opportunity to decline playing in those playing games to be a part of the lottery, would you do that? No, I wouldn't. Um, the odds for the Rangers right now are 2% at the first pick, 2.2% at the second pick, 2.4% at the third pick. That's a grand total of 6.6%. If I'm the Rangers, I like my odds better of winning a playoff series. I might even like my odds better of winning two playoff series than of getting a top three pick. That's interesting because, uh, you know, if you're the Rangers and you end up sneaking in and let's say you, you get in at, at seven and you play Tampa in the first round, um, do they have a better than, than 6% chance to beat Tampa and then going through the Atlantic Absolutely. having to beat Boston? I don't know. If I'm, I almost, maybe would, not, maybe not both. Certainly they've got a better than yeah. 6% chance of winning a series against anybody. That's just, right? Like, statistically, they absolutely would. Probably. I mean, I think you probably have to give them at least that. But it's just an, it's an interesting situation for a team like the Rangers, who uh, they're still actively rebuilding and does actually getting into the playoffs this year 
to ultimately lose in the first round, which would be the most likely situation. Does that actually hinder their rebuild in any way such that they would rather participate in the lottery than participate as that? And again, I don't even think the teams are going to get a choice in that. Like they're not going to be able to decline. They're on the spot. fire though. You know what I mean? Right. Like they're, they're a bit on fire and man, it'd be kind of a sad commentary. Okay. I'm looking at Dom's thing. So they actually have an exactly 6% chance right. to get to the second round of the playoffs. <laughs> so that's why it's a valid question. The percentages it are relatively right there. And so I just think for a team like the Rangers, it almost makes more sense to be in the lottery than to, than to make the effort to go through losing in the first round, which is the most likely scenario. So uh, I don't know that I would draw the line somewhere around Montreal is probably the team who really has to make the call. Montreal's probably saying lottery. What about Chicago? If you're Chicago, are you doing lottery or playoffs? I mean, if you're Chicago, you should be in the lottery. I mean, I understand the, the mechanism for them in that, you know, you're coming on your last years of, of Taze, Kane, and Keith, and, and Seabrook, and and obviously Seabrook's not playing at this point anymore. But if you if you're coming on those last years and you want to get your last run, then sure, go to the playoffs. But ultimately, the best thing for that team moving forward is the lottery. All right, I could buy that. I could buy that. So yeah, I, I mean, maybe maybe that's the right cutoff. I don't know. I to me, I agree with you. I think the path of least resistance, the path that's, the path that's going to create uh, the least logistical problems in rearranging everything, is to just go off points percentage. But I'm just saying, you're going to have some pissed off teams if they get left out. That even if they like, let's say they technically had more points, and the league is just kind of assuming on percentage that they would have gotten those extra points. That's going to piss some teams off. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's no clean way about it because if you come and you tell, you know, uh, Florida that they're not going to get to go to the playoffs because they don't have the points percentages to, to maybe compete in in something, even though they've played a couple fewer games than some of the teams ahead of them, you're, they're going to be like, are you kidding me? Because we, what if we win those two games? And and so the by virtue of not having an even number of games played between all the teams right now, you are going to run into those situations, and there's just not going to be a clean way to do it. To me, though, I think points percentages is the most objective way to do it with making the fewest amount of assumptions. That being said, there are still assumptions being made, and they're not going to be totally fair to everybody. Yeah, Columbus would get left out of the playoffs despite currently being in playoff position uh, on points. Vancouver would get... uh into the playoffs despite not currently being positioned and they would jump I believe they would jump into the 2-3 game so they would jump from out of the playoffs into the 2-3 game in that scenario yeah I see that's wild and then you even look at even from a seeding standpoint you look at a team like Carolina uh, you know right now I think Carolina is slotted to be uh, seventh first wild card yeah first wild card but had the season maybe extended six more games you look at their next six games, it was New Jersey, Pittsburgh, who was reeling, then Buffalo, Buffalo. And right ahead of them. Right, yeah. And, and then it's Buffalo, Buffalo, you get one game with St. Louis, and then Ottawa. And so literally wow. five of their next six games should, should on paper, have been very winnable games for them. And, and again, you're kind of saying, man, that team could have really rocketed up the standings there because the Metro is so tight. But all that being said, they're going to get stuck on points percentages sitting at seventh. And so... There's a lot of things that are not going to be fair about it. I think, though, it is the most objective way to proceed if you're going to pick up the season. Yeah, I would tend to agree. And I think, you know, 
it's going to be interesting. Like you talk about how a hot goalie can can change a lot of things in the playoffs. How about just the hottest starting team out of a you know prolonged league suspension? The hottest starting team. Like what if the Lightning get upset again in the first round because they were scorching hot going into this and they just can't start fast out of it? Which is exactly what happened them this season, right? Their their start out of the gates this year was awful. And that was a big reason why a lot of people started to write them off until, you know, they found their game and they started getting going. I think it's going to be really interesting because if the, if the league really does pick up straight into the playoffs, it's going to debunk a lot of, uh, you know, narratives. The, the narrative of the hot team coming into the playoffs and, and does the lower seed still beat the top seed and, and how does that happen and, and what are the reasons uh, for why that happens, and I think it'll be really interesting. I think the hot goalie uh, narrative is also going to be a lot of fun because which goalie is the the freshest coming out? Which goalie was able to stay in the best game shape, and then which one steps right in and stops every puck? Who knows? It's going to be a lot of fun to watch if it comes back. It absolutely is. It absolutely is. All right, here's another hypothetical for you, courtesy of Everett, who wants to know what are the Red Wings' win percentages with and without Manth in the lineup. And he wants us to debate how many more games we think the Red Wings would have won had he not missed any time due to injury. You did that research before we got on the show. The answers are with him, they're 11, 28, and 4.302 points percentage, and 6, 21, and 1 without, which is .232, I guess 23.2 win percent. Yeah, so that's uh, really, really bad. Um, both of them are actually really, really both bad. Both of them are really, really bad. <laughs> but one is slightly more bad than the other. So I think, obviously, it's clear that Anthony Mantha had a huge impact on the Redmonds lineup. He's able to push some forwards down into, you know, the, the areas where they need to be. I mean, if you're just, you know, globally trying to say how many more games would the Wings have won had he, you know, not missed any time to injury, I think this kind of indicates that maybe they would have won two more games, two or three more games, but um, you know, with that being said, that still puts them squarely in last place. They just wouldn't have locked it up by this point in time. Uh, and so I think it goes to show you that this was a team that just, again, didn't have the talent globally, and, and even one player as valuable as Anthony Mantha really only moves that needle by a couple of wins, and so I, I just I don't see it personally where they're even any closer to, to not being in dead last. Yeah, he might be the difference, though, between historically bad and just forgettably bad, right? I mean, they're not forgettably, but, like, they might not have been on the record pace if he was in the lineup the whole time, would they have? Uh, I think they would have been right on the pace, because, so, just doing the math real quick, if, uh, if you were to take, um, and Mantha and put him in the lineup for all the games, uh, if the Wings win, I think 13 of those, of the games, uh, 13 out of 43 games, that ends up being right around that 302 points percentage. So, right. you know, I, I, I just don't see it where, I think all you're really saying is they may be ahead of Colorado in 2016, 2017. But I still think you're talking, yeah, I still think you're talking about them as one of the worst teams of all the time. They may just finish, you know, tied with the, the 14, 15 Sabres but right ahead of the 16, 17 abs. And so so maybe they just get lumped in that group. It is one of the funny things is that, like, this may not technically go down as the worst season 
of the salary cap era on the same technicality that like the lockout era Panthers, right? Which, you know, by points percentage, obviously they weren't. By points percentage, the Red Wings would be, but no one is going to use that as the benchmark, a point percentage in a 71 game season. This, this could get wiped from history, essentially. I know. Now you're going to have people having to quote stats saying in a full season, uh, to, to basically erase how bad the Wings have been, which again, Truth being told, we have no idea how the season would have finished. The Wings could have rattled off 10 consecutive wins. I'm just saying they could have finished with almost uh, almost 60 points. All right. Chris Zadarazny asks, quarantine plans? What are your quarantine plans? Well, I have zero quarantine plans because um, I still have to go to work. Uh, I still go to the hospital, so I'll be there on Monday. And basically my plan is I go to work until... Um, if and when I get, you know, if I get sick, then I have to stay at home for 14 days. And if I do, then I'll probably, uh, have to fix things around our house. I just moved into a new house. And so now I have to unpack all the boxes and, and do all of the things here. And that's probably what would get done if I get, uh, told to stay home. Yeah, no, I know I'll, I'll be home and I, I work from home a lot anyway. Um, so that's not too different. What's different is, uh, not going out very much and not going to the, you know, stores much, if at all. Obviously, you're not going to be going to bars at a time like this. So that'll be interesting. Um, obviously no sports on TV, which I'm sure like many people listening, I kind of build my life around what games are on when and when I need to be home and when I need to be at rinks and when I want to watch a baseball game or whatever in the spring. Uh, that is going to be very different. I've got lots of time though. So if there are story ideas that I've ever told you, I don't have time to do this or whatever, let me know. Uh, I don't know what kind of access we're going to have to the people that we all want to talk to, but I'm going to have a ton of time uh, to, you know, mess around with different ideas and different kind of story possibilities. So DM me some ideas. Uh, you can tweet them to me, post them in, in article comments. However you uh, want to get in touch with me is fine. I will have some time if anybody has requests in that regard. I think that's going to do it for us today. Yeah, I think so. So I guess, Max, just to go on your story idea, you can then find out which Red Wings player is the best Italian cook, right? Maybe. I don't, I mean, how am I going to find, I, I, all right, I've got, your idea. I've sealed my fate. I said I had to do it. I got to do it. All right. We'll make it happen. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll talk to you again in the middle of the week.